Today, I'm speaking with the incredibly brilliant Gabes Torres. Gabes is a Filipinx woman currently living in Seattle, Washington. She is a decolonizing and anti-racist researcher, a psychotherapist in training, a theologian, speaker, singer-songwriter, and artist. This is Womanhood. Welcome to Womanhood, a podcast created to empower and give voice to all women's experiences, which are typically stigmatized and silenced in society. I'm your host, Mimi Healy. I'm so excited to have Gabes on the podcast today as her passions involve exposing and dismantling systems and cultures of injustice and white supremacy. And in this time of the current protests happening worldwide, the work that she's doing is more important than ever. And her words are more important for us to listen and learn from than ever. Yeah, my name is Gabes Torres and my pronouns are she, her, or they, them. Either both are fine. I am a first generation Filipina. And when I say first generation, I mean like I was born and raised in the Philippines and I am also a migrant or a non-U.S. citizen. I hold an F1 or international student visa. Mm. I identify as a woman of color um, and also as queer or pansexual. And I also um, acknowledge that I'm also a I have cis privilege, I'm a cisgendered woman, and I'm currently able-bodied. And although I do acknowledge that I am a person of color, I'm also one who, I am a non-black POC. Um, And so I find it important to name that I do not go through the same racism as black folks do, Mm -hmm. and that I also benefit from the same system that also marginalizes me, but in different ways, but to also acknowledge how um, our stories of oppression and colonialism are different. Um, So I, as you can hear at this point, like I value the, the normalization of intersectionality, which is a theory or a notion that is coined by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw and it's a, it's basically a framework that that uh, sheds into light the places in which we have privilege and in which we have been marginalized. Um, so I I'm really intentional about normalizing that whenever I do my introductions. I also um, and I don't know if we will get to the point of like profession, but right now I am a I'm an anti-racist educator and decolonizing um, psychotherapist in training. I'm almost done with my second master's on counseling psychology, and I do work around like um, offering offering clinical services to uh, marginalized groups, especially and majority are uh, folks who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color. So, what is it like to 
to, to promote the cause of inclusivity and equity in the mental health world, right? Especially mm-hmm. since the world of psychology and counseling are have deep roots of, of whiteness and of um, Eurocentric frameworks uh, with uh, thinkers like Freud and Gestalt and so forth. Um, so my work is to, to do in- inclusivity, equity, and diversity work in the mental health world. Currently, I am located in Seattle, Washington, which is a city situated on Duwamish territory. And um, I did mention that I was I was born and raised in the Philippines, but in that time frame, there's been a lot of significant um, geographical movement. So it, it was in the Philippines, but also like traveled a, a bunch and moved a lot. And I would consider myself a third culture kid with that regard of like the my own geographical instability. Um, mm-hmm, <laughs> but mm-hmm. but yeah, if that's something that folks are not familiar with, y'all can look it up. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. So to begin, what does being a woman mean to you? And you can take that however you'd like. Um, mm-hmm. You know, however however you interpret that. Yeah, my, my brain goes different many places with that. Um, well, one thing that I would say is that there's more than one way to be a woman. That's mm-hmm. one. And that it, it's tough for me to give like a definition because mm-hmm. um, language can only take us so far when the fullness of what it means to be a woman is really not defined by any particular standard. So I want to say that first and foremost. Like if I, I hesitate all the time whenever I talk about womanhood because I, I feel like people, especially here in the States, like have a way of like attaching so, you know, like attaching too much to a, a concept. And not to say that my words are like, like people would, you know, believe and follow me all the time. But this is to say that, you know, it's it's a dynamic um, a, a dynamic um, way of, of being, being a woman. Mm-hmm. My um, my first instinct was to think about like w- being a woman is a protector and giver of life. But at the same time, if I like say giver of life, people would assume that being a woman only like her identity or their identity is just anchored in you know procreation. When I actually mean life in different ways, not just like in, in creation in, in procreating, but also in the creative process, in, in leadership, in education and all that. Um, so I, I mean protector and giver of life in, in all forms um, mm-hmm. that is within and also beyond, um, you know, giving children basically, or, um, or protecting the household or anything like that. Um, I also think about the, you mentioned this earlier, like just the, the, the distinct um, suffering that women had to go through historically. Um, I know in my people, we, we as women were definitely um, rendered as inferior, especially during um, centuries of colonization pre-colonial Philippines did not well there are different approaches to this like it, the 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 ways in which women were considered inferior was not as severe as colonization 
you know, mm-hmm. it took us. And especially with with um, how colonization weaponized Christianity and Catholicism, this was even more like um, the, the suffering and the oppression of women, Filipino women, to be more exact, um, was, you know, it was increased and that we that women were not um, regarded as leaders or as teachers, but mm-hmm. as as folks who are, um, you know, who, who, who manage the kitchen, like, like mm-hmm. stuff that is already existing in, in today's time and not just during colonization and how that was carried through over time. So wanting to acknowledge, like, us women, like, who, who have been silenced by policy by law and by society and by our very families and by mm-hmm. our very partners and spouses, um, whether directly or implicitly, uh, because of our histories. I also want to acknowledge, like the reality that is the um, the existence and the reality of white feminism, and mm-hmm. that there are certain uh, women, specifically white passing or white women, who appropriate the suffering of black and um, women of color. And so wanting to, like, just, again, like, wanting to give, like, a complex um, frame or, you know, description of how I have been engaging with womanhood um, for the past few days, especially in light of this time right now um, with with an uprising going on and with, um, with Americans um, contending and exposing systems of oppression with everything that's happening with, with George Floyd's murder, with Breonna Taylor's and Ahmaud Arbery's and all that, like uh, wanting to, to show the complexity of womanhood that is even more unveiled mm-hmm. um, during this time. Um, so I don't know if that <laughs> yeah. helps anybody, but that's like where my, my brain groups are going. Yeah, that's I mean, that's amazing and that's wonderful and eloquent and thank you for, you know, touching on all of those topics and it is so complex and it is a question that I ask to bring out that, uh, those thoughts and each person has their own interpretation of what that means and I find that it's so vague that it's interesting that people can go in so (laughs) many different ways with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. How has your experience of growing up in the Philippines affected how, you know, you, mm-hmm. how has that affected like the work that you're doing now and the passions that you yeah. have? Yeah, that's a great question. I, so I grew up in um, a family that valued the intersection of education and social justice. So I come from a lineage of educators and professors and also founders of schools and also a lineage of, um, of social activists and um, um, just folks who really like family that really prioritizes social justice work and I feel like as like I, I knew that growing up as a Filipino um, or a Filipinex I would use more frequently now mm-hmm. um, that Philippines has a his uh, we like, I couldn't say we all know, but I know from, <laughs> from myself, like, you know, we have a history of colonization and oppression, and we see how um, a lot of its um, effects 
are manifesting in corruption in government and mm. um, in some forms of internalized oppression. So growing up, I've always assumed that as long as you're Filipino or you, it's, you have to be in some ways like concerned about social justice because the corruption in government and in a lot of presidents are so explicit. Like it's so you, you can't turn away without seeing the corruption and the mm-hmm. abuse of power, and that being a thing even today. Mm-hmm. And um, but also did not know that that wasn't like common knowledge or common <laughs> experience, but something that is normalized in my own family dynamic or in my own community because I grew up in. Um, the in a town that hosted the University of the Philippines and there is a, a significant a handful of folks who also love social justice work and who are trying to find um, ways to pressure um, um, the systems and people in power so that you know there's free education for all mm-hmm. or that poverty ought to be exp- um, addressed and alleviated and so on and so forth so with what was normal in my life in the Philippines, which is you know unique to my experience, then translates into my work here, but different because um, I focus a lot more on um, how to intersect social justice or, or anti-racism work with mental health and psychology. Um, and I, I'm a believer that, um, that uh, racism is not just, um, it, it is, this system and it is policy and um, procedures and processes and it's all, and it also has to do a lot with uh, the ego of white supremacy which is a fractured and splintered ego aka unprocessed um, grief and misery unexplored biases unnamed biases we see that in 45th um, mm-hmm. and but then this is not to justify people in power either. It is just to show that racism and oppression are both like in the system and also in in one's personal being. You know, mm-hmm. like it just so happens that the people who have the power have um, unexplored prejudices and biases, and that uh, resulting in horrific outcomes. Um, but yeah, but the Philippines is definitely, um, there's a vitality with the way that Filipinos or Filipinx communities um, carry out the revolution. Like the revolution is, and tonight I have like a virtual community organizing event with the Filipinx community to see how we can support um, black lives. Um, and one of the things that I told them in the email earlier this week is that the revolution runs in our blood and our hunger for freedom. Mm is deep in our bones like we are no strangers to to exposing and contending against power mm-hmm. um and so how does it look like to to create strategic initiatives in support of black lives through our story and through our kinship and through our identity yeah. <laughs> so that's how yeah that's that's us mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's so powerful. And, you know, I do wonder, like, how can you, as a Filipinx woman, um, work through this time right now with the Black Lives Matter movement? Like, have you been brainstorming, you know, ways to use what you know deep within yourself and within your history to, you know, aid with this revolution and this movement? 
I I know for sure that my my degree, my education, my clinical um, work will always center Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Mm-hmm. So I see my revolution in the form of offering clinical care to my Black clients and to um, and as you know as much as possible not let not get them to pay. Uh, pay me Mm. um and and that and of course like that (laughs) resulted in a lot of conversations like in the internal system right but then Mm. you know having to fight for it um and I yeah so that's my movement in offering um accessible clinical care to you know to their trauma to to their stories to um to be with them basically Mm-hmm. Um, the revolution comes in different forms. Um, so it can come in the form of relationship. It can come in the form of giving the person, the client, um, space to breathe, to process, to grieve, to be angry, and to be. <laughs> yeah. And to not that be a threat. Because all of their lives, especially black and brown folks, for them to be themselves, for them to, to release their anger, their their sadness, their rage and grief has always been targeted by um, by white dominance. Mm-hmm. And so my revolution is to create that container and that space for them to just be themselves and process and humanize. There you go. That's the, the, the word that I'm looking for. To them to access their feelings, their sorrow, even their joy. Um, to, to have them rehumanize themselves. Mm-hmm. And another form of movement would be, um, I am, I, 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 again, like this is me saying that there are many different lanes to, to doing the revolution. And I don't think I am one who am always going to be in every protest. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one who's going to be in every um, rally. Um, but I, I, I feel like my work, is you know to gather to gather mm-hmm. communities and to mm-hmm. see um like in our spaces like how do we how do we come up with strategic sustainable concrete plans mm-hmm. um for instance tonight we're going to figure out like how do we are we going to power map are we going to like how are we going to write letters how are we going to call um mm-hmm. you know congress and senates and yeah just seeing how um, a community with their own particular gifting with their own particular context and knowledge and passions how do we then create kind of like a mini ecosystem out of our community gathering and see how, what we can produce in, in in light of what we have what we know and what we can do mm-hmm. um, so getting creative with that process too um, and I'm trying to think um, if we were not in a pandemic, <laughs> I, I would do um, I would do community gather- gatherings differently, where I would um, have you know music involved. I'm also a singer songwriter, yeah. and um, I've done you know shows and gigs before, um, where we do some fundraising for um, for organizations like Racist uh, Racism, an organization that um, supports. Or, or helps uh, separated families in the border 
in the U.S. Mm. borders um, and, and pay um, lawyers to be able to, like, um, to, to reunite these families mm-hmm. and to support these families um, economically and you know, with food and with shelter and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, but like, what are, you know, I would just ask people, like, what are your passions and how do we, you know, what are you best at? Like, it doesn't always, it, protests are needed right now. Protests are 100% so crucial in the uprising or in the revolution right now. And, but then it's not the only way to, to be part of the revolution, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like how so yeah. can you take your individual talents to create concrete change and to make mm-hmm. a plan? Um, mm-hmm. I think that's phenomenal that you're, you know, even in this time of coronavirus, I think it's incredible that you guys are doing virtual meetings and uh, still trying to create that necessary change even when you can't meet in person and can't have those, you know, same fundraising type events. Yeah, that's really incredible. Um, And I mean, I think like something that really touched me when you were talking about your work as a psychotherapist, it kind of had me wondering, you know, the the work of being um, anti-racist and uh, decolonizing researcher and psychotherapist like did your study and in your master's and you know undergraduate and everything did you focus on psychology and then also history and how did like those meet because I studied a lot of psychology and um in my undergraduate uh career and you know I think a lot of it is unfortunately I'm sure as you know centered around white males and how have you kind of like paved that way to do what you do yeah yeah I think that's like um something that at least for majority of uh folks of color or students of color that Mm -hmm. is not a new experience for a lot of us like the -hmm. moment that we step into um like a course or at least during this time um, it, I think that it's not a, a new occurrence or a new experience for us to think like, okay, how do how do we see our, our face and our experience mm. here? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was new to the States, um, I, I remember I started with a theology degree in undergrad mm. and um, thinking that I was, you know, that I that my thoughts were not valid just because they didn't match with the dominant, um, voice. Mm-hmm. Um, my experiences were very different and I, I, like, I put it on myself. I'm like, oh, there's must be something wrong with me that I'm not getting. Um, only later to find out that it wasn't, um, that it was coming from a particular framework, which was whiteness and that it, it was so rigid that it did not welcome other perspectives and experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then stepping into psychology, I think that, you know, it's, a, at least for me, like, it was pretty inevitable to, like, see the disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it, like, uh, yeah, it was inevitable to see the disconnect between what was taught and what worked for me. <laughs> yeah. and, and so there I see, it, it was clear to me to see the, the lack of representation in, in the pedagogy, in um, and what healing and harm meant. 
because the healing and harm, at least in, in white-centered psychology, was very much individual, individualistic. It was very focused on talk. Um, but this is not to like say that this is not to villainize these approaches at all. It's just it's just to say that it is um, very particular to only one type of way of being. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas for for myself, for my people, and for Black Indigenous people of color, like this, and I know that it varies. Like our harm and healing are different from that of white folks because our harm, our historical harm. It's different from white folks. Like we come from narratives, historical narratives of oppression, of subjugation, and of of migration and displacement. And so, I, I believe that whatever the scope of harm is, like you have to attend to like this, like the the way in which healing is being um, addressed and facilitated. Mm-hmm. Um, that is obviously different from folks who never or don't have um, a history of oppression. Mm-hmm. And so um, in my case, like, it, like because I wanted to promote inclusivity, I, I felt like I needed to, you know, as opposed to all of my, uh, as all of my, as opposed to the rest of my white peers or white students, like I had to do like the history work. Um, I had to go through that, that process of, of, of seeing, okay, who's to say that this was how, um, you know, how, you um, see the, the the sources of stress. Like, who was it who set the standard? Mm. And who was it who was silenced in that research process or in that experiment, experimentation process? And in some parts of these stories, we also see, and this is real in academia, where the advancement of certain social sciences, of certain, like, fields of study, advanced only because there was an invasive and an unethical experimentation of black and brown bodies. That's why we have, you know, that's just why gynecology advanced. This is why sociology mm. advanced, because black and brown bodies were invasively used for their experimentation. And that is also something that has to be named in the world of education. Like, it it also has oppressive roots. It, it's also really political, and it's also really uh, uh, both um, an in- uh, both reinforcing and a byproduct of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, I drifted from the original no. question. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh my God. That was, I mean, it's so important. All that you're saying is so important. You can drift as much as you'd like. <laughs> so sorry, baby. But yeah, but yeah, I, all that to say is that for a handful or the majority, if not all, students of color like I think that for us to notice the discrepancies the dissonance and the disparities it's 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 inevitable to mm-hmm. to see that and to encounter and to feel viscerally feel that disconnect um, mm-hmm. yeah definitely I uh yeah it's like you said it's just inevitable and it's something that hopefully someday in the work that you're doing and in the work of educators um, and just changing that language and changing the history in academia will change and will, you know, come to bring other experiences and other uh, accounts of people who have had just as much of an impact in um, history. But I think that the work that you're doing is so incredible and um to be honest I had never really 
like met someone who was doing the specific you know psychotherapy work that you're focusing on um but as you're talking it's like I'm realizing just how crucial and I mean like needed it is and hopefully it only continues to be more common and um yeah uh like with that I guess right now um just in this time like you know I I hesitate to be like what advice would you give but (laughs) I think that you have such an eloquent way of putting things and just in your experience of um like your academic work and also just like living as a woman of color what advice would you give to a woman <laughs> right now I mean Dang. you know I, I think you can take that however you'd like yeah. or just to anyone I, to people to like yeah. do you have any advice for the current yeah I yeah I, I totally get like the way that the word advice is um, um what I do is that I I, I it's either I say invitation mm. or call to action um okay. you know, depending on the 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 context or the relationship but my invitation to to women to and I say that with an x um, mm-hmm. is to like to take some time to listen to actually I'll say that later but right now my call to action for you is to read and listen to black women mm-hmm. read and listen to black leaders and scholars and activists um, and black people and black voices. I don't just mean like, um, here's another thing too that needs to be debunked. Whenever I say black scholars, people just immediately assume, oh, they're going to be talking about anti-racism. They're going to talk about social justice more. Well, yes. And also they also thrive and are experts in a lot of other fields mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like there are folks who who do work even you know who do work in education in business in music and the arts um and so to listen to these voices and to see how um, and it's not just like an expansion or an, a widening of perspective but to de- like especially if you have um, racial and class privilege to see how you can decenter the white American way of being and of thinking. I think one of the, the core elements of white supremacy is white American exceptionalism that says that to be white, to look white, to to um, to study white, to teach white mm. or in, you know American English are like the best ways of existence of so the best ways and you know the standard the standard of what it means to be a human and to inspect that to process that to name that and to also um, see the beauty the brilliance the radiance of black and people of color black brown voices and people of color um, so that's one thing that I think is important to voice out. Mm-hmm. Another would be to explore the framework of intersectionality by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. Okay. Um, and then, um, gosh, I feel like there's a, as I like think about 
you know, the dynamic meaning of what it means to be a woman. Like, I feel like I'm, there's a softening in me all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> but I think I will give you the invitation that I would give myself, and that is to, um, to one, um, explore my own internalized misogyny and internalized mm-hmm. sexism and mm-hmm. to see how that form of internalized oppression is manifesting in the way that I interact and view myself. I I know that for me, because I was in theological education and in education in general, that has like, you know, prominently white male, cis male voices, um, I had to to go through and I still am in this ongoing process of of extracting their voice from my head Mm. and extracting the, the, the bullying voice, their bullying voice their criticizing voice in my head that that tells me directly or implicitly that I am less that I am that I am inferior um and and to explore the ways in which that crept in my own subconscious and explore the ways in which that crept in my own relationship with myself so I would invite you to explore your own relationship with yourself and see where are the hints and the residue of misogyny and of um, sexism, even of white supremacy and racism that are um, that are in there. Um, mm-hmm. That's like another way of saying like, what is it like to be kind to yourself? And I don't mean like polite, I don't mean nice. Mm-hmm. Kindness can be fierce and kindness is bold. Um, and I feel like uh, and I kind of want to extract all the fluffy definitions of kindness because kindness does not let injustice get in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would be my invitation to you, woman with an X who's listening, um, is to, um, to, to re-engage with your dignity, um, to celebrate your dignity. And I know that that could mean a whole lot of things, but I think that I want to emphasize on, you know, the process of rehumanizing yourself and of finding your dignity. That also entails like finding the spots that have been colonized, that have been um, um, informed or or um, damaged by the oppressor or by the colonizer, um, and to name that you know, in your relationship with yourself and even in the context of community, I highly recommend um, doing that work in the context of trusted community, of, of kindred spirits, of fellow women, um, mm-hmm. because there's something about, there, and y'all would know this, like magic happens when you're in the context of a trusted team. Mm-hmm. Um, and as humans, as social creatures, we are wired for that connection. Um, and, but I also understand that that requires a lot of vulnerability <laughs> mm-hmm. and a lot of courage. Um, yeah, actually on, um, the last episode that I published of womanhood, I was um, talking with, uh, the guest Sierra about that, just having not only vulnerability, with mm-hmm. other people, but vulnerability and just like that safe container within yourself to explore yes. that, you know, like mm-hmm. as you're talking, it's, I mean, the things that you're bringing up, a lot of them are hard and a lot of them are, mm. you know, sometimes 
some of the things are difficult to see within oneself, you know, and to really Mm -hmm. deeply, vulnerably have the courage to go into that space within yourself and really, like, dig deep and find those areas where, yeah, like, you've been oppressed or you have privilege. And I think that's something, like, during this time, it's, it's an ongoing learning experience throughout your whole life but um in moments in history like this I think it's it can be really hard to go within yourself and see the impact that you've had whether it be positive or negative and just to be vulnerable with yourself and with you know like your relation to society and the larger context of the world and um but I mean it's definitely what you said about dignity I mean it really strikes me um Mm -hmm. it's so eloquent how you how you put that and how you define that within yourself and um yes thank you for (laughs) thank you for your words I mean and for being so like honest and raw and genuine with just the experience of you know the work that you're doing and uh the invitation that you're giving to others. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then I guess lastly, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but um, if you have anything you'd like to say about your singing and songwriting, you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know yeah. if you have like anything uh, out. Go. Yeah. Um, not at present. Um, so the past year I was running a, campaign a GoFundMe campaign um, which is a campaign that's been helping me stay in the states Mm -hmm. to complete my studies Um, and it was during that time when I I've I've been writing a little bit more and performing a little bit more around Seattle because you know we wanted to like spread the word about it Mm -hmm. and having musical events would be a helpful way to do that Um, there's nothing like um, anything that is on going just yet but Mm -hmm. knowing the times that is right now that is um you know a mixture of um of a lot of things (laughs) (laughs) um and this is like getting me to what my point is which is that you know it's an the time right now is unspeakable like there's barely any word that can like fully capture what we are going through right now with the mixture of horror and also it's like we are um out to to dismantle like we see that uh, um concretely happening in, in, in and in, in an embodied way in social media and all that um so there's no one word that will be able to to capture that and so i've been like considering okay since music and poetry have a way of, of capturing the metaphor of things that are unspeakable, um, uh, you know, why don't we tend to that? Why don't we tend to that craft again? Um, I know that this is this is something that a lot of you artists are familiar with, where, you know, if words fail, then let the image speak. Mm-hmm. Let the tune speak. Let the, the sculpture or um, the embodied practice, the dance, um, let it out. Again, like language can take Language is important, but it's um, an approximate of what we actually mean. Um, it's just enough to be able to convey what we really mean, and, this, and more particularly this time of of a great unveiling, mm-hmm. 
like themes and realities that have always existed, but even more, um, in some ways, like ex- we're more exposed to, um, and obviously like those who bear the brunt of it are, you know, are black and indigenous folks and brown folks even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is it like to you to, I don't want to use the word use, but, um, to access our, I also don't want to use the word gift because it's something that you did not receive, but work hard for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm running out of words, but what is it like to, to yeah. channel your creative energy? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I have been trying to like get myself to, to access that, um, to bring out the singer songwriter Gabe's to, um, who would let her words and her stories flow in the metaphor, in the, the music mm-hmm. and, and music being having the power to, to, to tap into regions of our hearts and of our brains that not words or lectures will be able to, to, to disturb or to mm-hmm. impact or compel. Um, there's something about choruses and especially for those of us who are able who, you know, when we listen to music, it, 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 there's more of a visceral experience in that, a more embodied um, experience with with music mm-hmm. um, that brings us into soft places. Uh, it brings us to a softening of self. Um, so all that to say is that um, in the works. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful. I'm I'm really excited uh, just to hear more and to see what you do in this time and always, I suppose, like in your work. And thank you so much for talking with me and thank you for your time. Thank you for your words and your knowledge. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Yeah. It's really been an honor to talk with you and to hear what you have to say. Thank Thank you. you, Mimi. You can find Gabe's on her website at gabestorres.com. That is www.gabestorres.com. You can also find a GoFundMe link on her website, which helps her stay in America to finish up her second master's in psychotherapy. If you live in the Seattle area, you can find Gabe's performing live and usually donate to an amazing organization of her choice. And also you can find Gabe's on Instagram at Gabe's Torres. Thank you so much for listening. See you in two weeks. womanhood podcast was created and hosted by mimi healy with original sound design by matthew peary